Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Well, every once in a while, you run across a, a text in the Bible that is hard to preach. And I don't mean hard to preach because it's hard to understand, but it's just one of those really uncomfortable texts to talk about. And that's what we sort of have today. We have a really uncomfortable text to talk about. We've got a lot of blood. We've got a lot of guts. We've got a lot of violence. It's like one of those nasty Bible passages. If you like Jason Bourne movies where there's lots of body bags at the end, this is your Sunday. I mean, this is what we have here as we dive into the text. You know, as a church, we are working our way through the book of Genesis. And today we are finding ourselves in Genesis chapter 34. And the only real way to understand this crazy mixed up text in this chapter is to understand the backstory of Genesis 34. So let me just briefly catch you up if you're somebody who's new. We've been studying two brothers. Their names are Jacob and Esau, and they did not get along well whatsoever. They are as different as night and day. And Jacob was a deceiver and a trickster, and he had stolen things called the birthright and the blessing, things of immense value from both his brother and his father. And he literally had a run for his life. He, his, he, was a, he ran for his life, and he got out of town, and he was actually gone for 20 years. But while he was gone for 20 years, even though life was hard at the beginning, God eventually blessed him. God gave him four wives, 12 kids, and actually a rather large investment portfolio in the way of sheep and goats and other things. And finally, 20 years later, God has told him to return to the promised land. And last week, we saw one of the great um, highlights and great moments in his life where he took a really high-risk, bold move, and he went out of his way to restore a broken relationship, his broken relationship with his brother Esau. Now, I, I say this was a high-risk and bold move because you need to understand who Esau had turned into. Esau was a professional hunter. He was a professional killer. He was a terrorist. And when you're on the, one of the top of the terrorist hit list, to try and restore a broken relationship with him is a, is a really bold, high-risk move. But God blessed it, and they restored things. And that's where we left off last week. It was, Jacob was able to restore that risky relationship with his brother. But... Uh, as we finished the chapter last week, I sort of skirted right through uh, the, the final verses. And those final verses had really important details that I need to go back and highlight if you're going to understand what really uh, was supposed to happen. You see, 20 years earlier when Jacob ran away, you might remember if you've been with us for a while, that he stopped in the area called Bethel. Bethel is where Grandpa Abraham had built an altar to God. Bethel is also the place where Jacob had this appearance of what we call Jacob's Ladder. 
We saw back when we studied that uh, passage that it was actually a stone staircase upon which the angel of God ascended and descended from heaven to earth. This was a very special spot. And Jacob had made a promise. He said, if you will bring me back to the promised land, I will return to Bethel. I will build an altar here and I will worship you here. Now here's what happened. You need to understand that why God kept his promise and brought Jacob back to the promised land and he blessed him mightily along the way. Jacob didn't keep his promise. Jacob didn't do what he promised to do and he didn't do what God wanted him to do. In fact, Jake, Jeremy, could you throw the map up there for us briefly? You can see Penuel right there is where he um, essentially was able to restore the relationship with his brother. And then what he did, those final verses in the last chapter tell us, is he moved on to Succoth. And there it was sort of a rural area. He built some pens for his sheep. He built a house. He sort of settled down and made that home for a while. And then it says he picked up and moved again, and he moved on to an area called Shechem. And Shechem was a little more of a citified area. You know, he, he was outside of town, he had a little house, had a little pen for his animals, but he had the city not too far away. But here is the problem. Where was he supposed to go? place called Bethel. Bethel is, you don't see the scale on this map, but Bethel is only 20 miles away. He's really, really close, but he never actually makes it there. Thanks, Jeremy. So here is what we find out. This is a classic example of partial obedience. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows what God wants him to do, but he says, you know, this is close enough. I've gotten close to Bethel, but I don't really need to go all the way. Here's a little bit of what I think is going on. I think Jacob likes living near Shechem. Shechem is a city. You know the nice part about living in a city? At least you have cell phone coverage. Because when you're out in the country in the middle of no place, it's like you're all alone. It's sort of boring. So he's like, I like living by Shechem. I've got the benefits of the city, but yet I can sort of live in the country. But he, and so he's doing partial obedience. Close enough, but close enough isn't actually good enough. Here is what you need to understand. Shechem is a Canaanite city. Now, if you've been studying the Bible with us for a number of years, uh, the Canaanites should bring up a red flag in your mind. Because God, when it comes to conquering the promised land, tells Moses and Joshua to make sure you completely wipe out the Canaanites. You know, to just totally annihilate these guys, wipe them out, take no prisoners, kill all of them. Why does God want the Canaanites wiped out? You go to Leviticus chapter 18, and it tells you about the Canaanites and their sexual practices. These guys are a bunch of sexual perverts. I know this is hard to tell you, but it's honestly truth. 
They are into premarital sex. They are into extramarital sex. They are into homosexual sex. They are into relationships between relatives. You name it, these guys are practicing it. They're a dark, wicked, and depraved people. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and it says very clearly, do not, whatever you do, intermarry with the Canaanites, because they will turn your heart away from God. They will ruin your relationship with God. Don't date them. Don't hang out with them. To intermarry with these guys is essentially like swallowing spiritual rat poison. That is essentially what is going on. But you need to understand, Jacob has chosen to move his family into a Canaanite neighborhood. Red flags all over the place. And he's doing this because he is in partial obedience to God. Not going to Bethel. Really close but yet totally far away. Here is what you need to understand. Everything that is about to unfold in this chapter could have been totally avoided if he was just fully obedient to God and had gone to Bethel in the first place. When Moses writes the book of Genesis... He is writing this book so that the Israelite people will know their history as they go into the promised land. And when they read Genesis chapter 34, what comes screaming out to them is be very careful about partial obedience. Be very careful of trying to assimilate and accommodate yourself into the culture because partial obedience like that will not just destroy you, but it will destroy the very lives of your children because that is what we find out actually happens. Here's the thing you need to understand. Sometimes partial obedience can have the same consequences as full-blown disobedience. Now let's go ahead and dive into the chapter. This is a tough one to read. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the land, saw her, he seized her, and he lay with her, and he humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Dinah, she is the daughter of Leah, which is one of Jacob's wives. Now inc incidentally, her name in Hebrew means justice, which by the way is sort of prophetic for what's about to unfold in her life. Now, it says she decided to go out and see the women of the land. You try to do the math on this about where she was born and how long as much time has taken place. We don't know exactly, but she is approximately age 16 at this point. What she is, is she's a young, believing girl who has a bunch of 
brothers. She wants a little bit of a social life for herself. She can see the city of Shechem in the distance. And on a night when it's quiet, she can probably hear the music and laughter from the city sort of just faintly in the distance on the air. On a day when it's crystal clear, I'm sure she can see just little bits of the color of the beautiful fabrics that the merchants are selling in the city as they bring the wares in and out. And what she sees is she sees all kinds of fun, all kinds of excitement, all kinds of parties just in the distance, just out of her reach. She's about 16 years old, and what are you like when you're 16 years old and you're a young woman? Starting to feel a little bit of your independence, starting to feel a little bit of a rebellion. And what the Hebrew implies when you read this in the Hebrew is she literally decided to run away from her parents, disobey her parents, and escape to the city. I don't know how this took place. I imagine that maybe she told her parents that she was going to go out and do the laundry. And she was going to go to the laundry down at the local stream. And, and she actually, when she took her brother's socks, she was tired of washing her brother's socks. So she ditched her brother's socks around behind a rock and ran away to the city. She was tired of her parents ruining her social life. Try, tired of her parents holding her back when she could see all the joy and the fun and excitement of the city just in the distance. Now let me pause for a moment. Because I know there's a number of young women that are here even this morning. And you feel the same way just like Dinah. You're tired of your parents holding you back. You're tired of your parents not wanting you to go driving around in the car at night with a bunch of your friends all packed up because you're going to have fun together. But they say, no, that's not safe. You think they're overprotective. You're tired of your parents wanting to know all your friends' parents and want to know all about where you're staying and where you're going. And you think, man, my parents are so overprotective. They're so controlling. They're ruining everything about me. You need to understand, young ladies, the reason your parents do that is because they love you. They love you desperately. They want to protect you from a lot of the darkness, sin, and wickedness in this world. They want to protect you from Genesis chapter 34 repeating in your life. Dinah runs to the city, and she's excited for her big social splash. She's finally away from her mom and dad. And I picture her wearing the ancient Hebrew equivalent of probably what was a, a miniskirt and high heels. She's wearing the kind of clothing that you can only get away wearing when you're about 16 years old, because after that, nothing fits. She's probably wearing a fair share of makeup, trying to make herself look a little older and a little more mature. So she's trying to give Tammy Faye Baker a run for her money. And as she goes and she sort of gallivants around the town and she's so excited to be independent and she's by herself and she's trying to get attention and have people look at her and have some fun. And Well, somebody does notice her. 
The guy's name is Shechem. Shechem is Prince Shechem, son of the king. Hey, who is this new lady? Boy, is she beautiful. She's attractive. And he talks to her, and you can see how this unfolds. At first, she's swept off her feet. Prince Shechem is interested in, in, in me? I knew my parents were holding me back. And Prince Shechem maybe buys her something to eat for lunch. And then Prince Shechem shows her, or buys her a drink. Then Prince Shechem says, let me come and show you my palace. Let me show you the view from my, the balcony in my bedroom. And why she is just naive and she thinks that this is all pure and innocent fun. She does not understand what Prince Shechem is thinking. Because he grabs her, he violates her, and he rapes her. It's date rape. That's literally what happens. Now let me just pause. Many young women this morning are also naive. You're naive just like Dinah. Because you grew up in a good Christian home. Your parents have treated you very well, and they have protected you. And you don't understand that maybe wearing the latest in fashion trends and wearing skimpy clothing, which all your friends do, you don't understand what that does to men and how they think and how they act and how they respond. You're just naive to the fact you're putting blood in the water. You're chumming the shark tank. Not a wise thing to do. You need to understand that when young women, if you dress in a socially provocative way, that the reality is your men, men will pay attention to you. But the one thing they're not thinking about is your personality. That's the way men respond. And you may be young and naive and not understand that, but this is essentially what goes on with Dinah. She's just naive. Now, dads, let me give you a little fatherly advice in here. And I say this, I'm preaching to myself on this because I have a 13-year-old daughter. Every young woman, when she grows up, wants to feel special. Every young woman, when she grows up, she wants to know that she's attractive and she's pretty. Dad, your job is to treasure your daughter. Your job is to let her know she's wonderful, she's special, she's attractive, she's pretty, and you treat her like a fine young lady. Because if you don't fill her love tank... There's a whole bunch of sexual perverts out there, just like Shechem, who'll be more than happy to step in and fill your place. But they won't treasure your daughter. They will use your daughter. Dads, this is a challenge to us, to treasure and care for our daughter and protect her from what are the people like Shechem in this world. You need to picture how she felt. Dinah has been violated. She's been raped. She's in the castle. She feels disgusting. She feels filthy. She wants a shower. 
She just can't stand what has been done to her. But notice what Shechem does at this point. He says, well, I love you. I want to marry you. Now, think about this. How long has he known her? No time at all. He doesn't love her. He lusts her. All he wants is to obtain her to gratify his sexual desires. Now, let me just mention this. Young ladies or young women, if you were in a situation where a guy rapes you or he forcefully violates you, and then he turns around and says, I love you, let's get married and make it official, what do you do? Run. Run as fast and as far as you can. Because if a man doesn't treat you respectfully and sacrificially and cherish you before you're married, trust me, he will not treat you respectfully after you're married. If he forces himself upon you before marriage, he'll do the same thing after marriage. You run for the hills. Now, my point, I want you to understand, all of this in her life, I think, could have been avoided if Jacob had just gone where in the first place? Bethel. If he hadn't been content to say, well, Shechem's close enough. It's all, Bethel's only 20 miles away. This all comes about as a result of his partial obedience. Like I said, Partial obedience can have the same kind of consequences as full-blown rebellion. We pick up the story. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, and his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. Now, I want you to notice the contrast and the way the, the father and the, son respond, the sons respond. The father hears about the fact his daughter has been raped. You know, by the way, you just need to know also, let me add something else. We'll find out later in the story that she's not raped and then she runs home. She is raped and then she is kept locked in Shechem's castle. Which, by the way, shows you what kind of guy Shechem is. One of those controlling, forceful men who, like, manipulates women. That's what he's like. Jacob finds out his daughter is raped and locked in the castle. And what does he do? Essentially Nothing. He's a total passive leader. Now, let me just tell you something. If I found out my daughter's been raped and she is locked in the castle, trust me, I will turn into Rambo pastor. I will, like, be calling the church phone line. Anybody who has a gun, join me at the church property at 6 o'clock. We're storming the castle and getting the daughter back. That's just the way we're going to do it, okay? But that's not Jacob. He just totally abdicates the role of leadership, and he totally sits there and does absolutely nothing about it. Now, here's what you need to understand. 
If in a crisis you're the head of the family and you don't take leadership, somebody will take it for you and chances are they're going to take it in a direction you don't want to go. And that's exactly what we're going to find happens here. Because the 11 brothers hear about this and they are livid. They come home and they're like, this should never happen. Because they know that like premarital sex is not part of God's plan. That's just not in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3, let no sexual immorality be found amongst you. And if premarital sex is wrong, <laughs> date rape is ten times worse than wrong. And they are livid. The story continues. But Hamar said, spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem, well, he just longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give us your daughters, give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. I love the way Hamor and Shechem sort of approached them. They said, oh, you know, by the way, I know my son raped your daughter, but why don't we just like make this official and turn it into a wedding? <laughs> That's essentially what he says. Now, like I said to you before, if you're somebody who has been raped, getting married to the guy doesn't fix it. It doesn't change his character. It doesn't change his personality. All it means is that you're now going to be stuck for life with a person who will be abusive towards you and disrespectful towards you, and that will continue. Now, Hamor and Shechem say, tell you what, let's just not just turn this rape into a marriage, but let me sweeten the deal even further. Why don't we make this into a complete chick swap? That's what we can do. This is what you can do. Why don't um, we we'll give you our young women for you to marry. You can marry our perverted girls, and then we'll take your godly girls and marry them to our perverted guys. And we'll just have one big happy chick swap between us. That's their idea. Now, this is not cool at all. Because if you know the Scriptures say very clearly that God's men are not to be unequally yoked. That's out of the book of the Corinthian letters. Here's the deal, folks. You need to understand, God's men marry godly girls. Not just any girl that happens to be there that is, finds them attractive. Godly girls doesn't mean that the girl went to church twice in the last year. A godly girl is someone who is passionate for Jesus, who loves Jesus Christ more than they love you. That is the kind of women that these guys should be marrying, not some Canaan paganite young girls. Too many guys fall for this trick. They fall for the trick of marrying the girl that will make them sexually available to them rather than marrying the girl who is godly and loves Jesus Christ. Now, thankfully... 
Jacob's sons don't fall for this trick. But there's a line that Shechem says in here, and it gets him in deep, deep trouble. Here's what he says. He says, ask for me any bride price and I will pay it. And here's what you need to understand. A bride price in that day was already a fixed amount. It was a standard amount he should have been paid to, be, paid to do this. But what he is saying is this. He says, you know what? How much money do I need to give you guys to make this little problem go away? Give me a number and I will write the check and we'll put this whole thing behind us. That is literally what he is saying. He is trying to buy Dinah like she is a baseball card. That's the way he's treating her. Let me buy her off her brothers. Godly men do not treat women like baseball cards. You do not buy a woman. You do not trade a woman. You treat a woman like you treasure her because that is the way she is to be treated. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. He said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that, we will become as, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. The boys have a little plan. Here's their plan. They want to deceive these guys. Where do they learn deception? They've learned deception from their father. Jacob is an incredible deceiver. Not a good character to learn from your dad. And here's what they say. We are happy to join with you guys and happy to marry with you guys, but we have this one little slight cultural hang-up. Notice they don't even explain it and the reason it actually exists. It's called circumcision. If you guys will all be circumcised, we're happy to, to join with you. And you could, I don't know how these guys kept a straight face, honestly. Because you could sort of see them like, this is great. Shechem violates our sister. We're going to get even with him, and we're not even going to have to lift a finger at this point. You guys all need to be circumcised. Now, adult male circumcision is like every man's worst nightmare. Novocaine has not been invented. Morphine doesn't exist. Can you imagine this? Just... Just get circumcised and we're happy to mix with you guys. That's, that's exactly what they're saying. And you can see them saying, well, the punishment is definitely going to fit the crime on this one. We're going to definitely get even with these guys. You rape my, our sister and we don't even have, to even have to lift a finger to get even with you. Look how it unfolds. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do this thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, These men are at peace with us. 
Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us, to become one people, when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now, Hamor and Shechem, they were pretty field, thrilled. You know, all we need to do is to be circumcised. It says he doesn't even delay to get this done. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I would delay. You know, if I was in his situation, I'd delay a long time. But then I got thinking about this. You know, young men in love will do really stupid things, won't they? Why are the guys looking at me and smiling? Because you know what I'm talking about. Let me just give you an example. Um, when I used to pastor in Michigan, true story, there was a young guy who was in love with his girlfriend. He proposed to his girlfriend. And you know what she said? No, I'm not interested in marrying you. Passionately in love with her. He begged her. He pleaded with her to say yes. No way. He said, if you will not marry with me, marry me, he said, I will kill myself. All the more reason for her to say, she said no. He literally ran out in front of traffic at that moment, threw himself in front of his car, and was killed. And as he lay dying, people told me that he was saying, how could I have done such a stupid thing? Here's the deal. When a young man is madly in love, or in this case, in lust, he will do just about anything. And that's exactly what goes on with Hamor and Shechem. Oh, Circumcision, no big deal. I'm going to make sure my entire city gets circumcised because he is madly in love. Then it says this, On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came upon the city while it felt secure, and they killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away because she, she was held captive. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. On the third day, when these guys were in complete and utter pain, when they literally could not get off the couch, they could not sit up because they were in such pain, Simeon and Levi had a plan all along. They went house to house like vacuum cleaner salesmen. Is George there? Oh, yes, George is here, his wife says, but he's on the couch, just recently had a circumcision, cannot move, cannot do a thing. Perfect, that's what I wanted. I'll let myself in. George, you thought the first cut hurt. Here's a sword. You're dead. 
Next house. Is Henry there? Yes, uh, he's on the couch. Just had a circumcision recently. Could I walk myself in? One by one, they went through the entire city, killing every single male. And of course, they saved the best for last. King Hamor and Prince Shechem bump those guys off at the end. They rescue the girl, bring her home safely. And I told you, it's just like a Jason Bourne movie. You know, the girl gets rescued and there's tons of body bags when it's all done. That's essentially how this whole thing comes together. And then the rest of the brothers go and they plunder the town. But here's what you see. On the one hand where you see the young men are totally out of control, Jacob doesn't do anything. Look at the last part. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Notice the contrast. All Jacob is, care, is worried about is he's going to lose business. He's going to lose his image. He's going to lose his reputation. He doesn't care about his daughter, Dinah. That's all he cares about is himself. But the brothers, they say, no matter what, nobody treats our sister like this. Now, this is a really weird, strange, and uncomfortable text. I know that. Let me give you some applications to wrap this up. Number one, partial obedience has consequences. This whole chapter could have been avoided if he had just gone to Bethel in the first place. Sometimes partial obedience can have the same consequences as full-blown rebellion. And it doesn't just affect you, but it affects your children. That's exactly what happened. Number two, don't be a passive leader and avoid uncomfortable situations. Jacob was the leader of his home. He should have taken the bull by the horns and used his age and used his wisdom to, to organize a just and right response to the raping of his daughter and the rescue of his daughter. But he didn't. He avoided leadership. And I told you earlier, if you are the head of your home, and you avoid leadership in a crisis situation, rest assured somebody else will take leadership. And they'll probably take it in a direction you don't want it to go. That's exactly what happened here. Number three, don't do the right thing the wrong way. It's exactly what the brothers did. I love the fact that in this story, the brothers care about Dinah's honor. Because brothers should care about a woman's honor. They should especially care about a sister's honor. They should especially be there to rescue and protect their sister. I love that about them. But they did the right thing the wrong way. They moved from justice to complete vengeance and annihilation. They way overdid it. In fact, Simeon and Levi lose their inheritance ultimately because of this unjust and terrible act of, of war. The last thing I need to tell you, which is also important, is this. 
in this story, it's sin, one piece after the other. There is no hero in this story, but there is a hero in this book. The hero comes later. His name is Jesus Christ, and he came to deal with sin, and he came to take away sin and even take away our identity and our consequences of our sin, even if our sin is really bad and messed up. Jesus came to take away what's been done to you and what's been done by you. Even if what's been done to you is really bad and wicked sin, like what was done to Dinah, where she was raped and abused, because of Jesus... That rape and that abuse no longer has to be your identity. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that He makes us into a completely new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Not only does He change what has been done to you, but He changes what has been done by you. Even if you are like Jacob's brothers, and in your anger and in your fury you have done and said some wicked and terrible things. What you have done that is evil and that is wrong and that is dark and that is nasty doesn't have to be your identity because Jesus has come to take away your sin and Jesus has come to make you into new creation. Folks, the hero is not in this chapter, but the hero of the story is in this book and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is a really tough chapter where we see the consequences of sin and it just seems to mushroom from one on top of the other. I thank you so much that you died to take away the sin that has been done to us and take away the sin that has been done by us and to make us into a completely new creations. Thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. with us, please. Um, make this your time of response before the Lord.
we follow you so much because of what you do to cleanse us from our sin. Jesus, I know there are some people here who have had some terrible things done to them, like Dinah. I thank you, Lord, that you wash away their sin through Jesus and that you make them into a completely new creation. And I also know that this morning there are a number of us, Lord, who in our anger and in our rage, even if it's justified, have said and done just wicked and bad things. Thank you, Lord, that is not our identity, but through Jesus we can find forgiveness and we're made into a new creation. Thank you, Jesus, for cleansing us from our, what's been done to us 
and what's been done by us when it comes to sin. And all God's people said, Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.